Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Bonnie B. Hi, I'm Bonnie B., compulsive overeater. And thank you to Mickey for asking me. I, um, I think they take me at the convention, and it's just weird. Anyway, I don't usually um, identify as bulimic, but I was bulimic for 13 years, so I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. I came into Overeaters Anonymous on January 24, 1971, and I was became abstinent on August 29, 1990. So there's 18 and a half years in there where I was coming to meetings and calling people and screaming and crying and writing and um, trying everything I knew how to get abstinent, and I wasn't. So if there's one message, this is annoying. If there's uh, one message that I want to give to anybody is just please please keep coming back. I uh, will tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now, and I don't usually get too much into what I was like because I forget. But it's really important. Also, I want to know, want you to know that I know that my program is working, and I know that my program is working because, number one, I'm abstinent. Number two, I'm really happy, and I have a really good life. And um, I just had a, a birthday party. I just had my 60th birthday party, and I asked for no presents, but people, you know, they gave me cards, and the cards were like, you're my inspiration, and I, you're just a wonderful person, and... I love you, and then people would tell me that was the most fun party because people just were so nice. So I'm surrounded by nice people. I have a happy life. I pay my insurance. Um, <laughs> I'm abstinent. You know, there's not there's that's that's pretty much the basics. And also, I was I had dinner with a friend last night who happens to be in program. I know her from program, but um, we were talking, and she says, you know, you're the one that taught me about generosity, and I'm like. I have a really good life, people. I have a really good life. Anyway, what happened? I came into Overeaters Anonymous, like I said. I don't know exactly when it was, but I say January 24, 1971, because that's when Bill Wilson died. And it was right around that time. I went to the Westminster meeting, and there was it seemed like there was 200 people at the meeting. And this lady got up, and she, her husband had committed suicide that day. And she was at a Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and... I was just blown away. And I knew from the very, very start, from the moment I walked in, that I was a compulsive overeater. I'd always been a compulsive overeater. I come from a functional family. I am the one. It's not uh, a perfect family, but it was functional. If we had elephants in the living room, we would discuss it. And I knew when I was in first grade, I was I was at school, and I'm thinking my mom gave me a sandwich, a snack, and fruit for lunch. And I'm thinking, if I don't eat these Fritos, I won't be so fat. That was in first grade. I was never abused. I was never molested. I was loved from the moment I was born. I know that I was loved from the moment I was born. I know when I was that I when I hated my parents, they still loved me. So I had I had a really good childhood. Yes, my sister, she had a miserable childhood, but it's a whole different story. Anyway, um, I'm a compulsive overeater because I'm a compulsive overeater. That's how I was born. And um, I don't want to 
pronounce anybody compulsive overeater, but I have two children, a girl and a boy, and they're 15 months apart. And I knew from the second my son was born that he was a compulsive overeater. From the second he was born, he didn't want a nurse. It was too slow. You know, and you could see him, you could see him get longer. And um, anyway, he, he, that's not saying any, I'm not saying anything about him. I came in in 71, and um, I brought my mother to the second meeting that I went to, and it was similar to the first meeting, like 200 people, and they talked. And I said, Mom, what do you think? And she says, Bonnie, these people have problems. <laughs> and um, I didn't have any problem. The only problem I had was with food. And I knew I ate too much, and I knew I binged, and I knew I, I was sneak eating. And I stayed around. I kept going to Overeaters Anonymous, Anonymous meetings. And I... Um, Moved to Colorado, I went to Overeaters Anonymous meetings there, and lots of times I would speak because I had the most abstinence. I had a week. So it was, uh, back in the 70s, the program was a little bit weak there. I went to a lot of AA meetings because the program's the program. And uh, like I said, I made phone calls. I um, Oh, I became bulimic there. I had lost a little bit of weight, and I was single, and I went to Colorado, and I'm like, there's no way if I, stop, if I start eating again, I'm going to be fat. So I started throwing up. And I threw up probably average, average three times a day for 13 years. So there was, there was times when I didn't and there was times when it was more. But I would average three times a day for 13 years. I became deep into debt. I ruined my beautiful teeth. I had beautiful teeth. Now I have two root canals. And I go to the dentist and he's like, you know, your teeth are smooth on the inside. And I'm like, well, I told you. But, um, I went to a lot of meetings, and I made phone calls, and I read the literature, and I wrote, and I had sponsors, and I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do, and I could not get abstinent. We had the gray sheet back then, and I would hang on for dear life for like until 10 in the morning, and then all heck would break loose. I um, found that... What I was doing was working the tools, and there's no recovery in working the tools. The tools are instruments to work the steps, and if I want relief, I can work the tools. If I want recovery, I need to work the steps, and I think of it like a staircase with knives and, uh, what do you call it, saws and hammers and all the tools. I can build a staircase, but the tools don't do me any good unless I take the steps. And I went to a meeting one day, it was a Tuesday night, and the speaker there, Vicki, she had what I wanted, and I was willing to go to any length to get it. And I asked her to be my sponsor, and on the way home from that meeting on a Tuesday night, I thought, you know, I can just get something to eat today, and then I can start my abstinence tomorrow, and I didn't. So also, if you want to start your abstinence on the evening, like now, that works too. It doesn't have to be a Monday it doesn't have to be the beginning of the month. It doesn't have to be my birthday. It doesn't have to be New Year's or Rosh Hashanah. You know, I have lots more. I have a. It's always had to be a um, a specific date, and I have lots more dates because I'm Jewish. So you know, it had to be Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or the first day of this or the day after that or now. If I wanted what what she had and was willing to go to any length to get it, then I would start it now. Over the years, I've been abstinent a little bit over 21 years. Over the years, my 
Abstinence has not changed. And I'll tell you right now what my abstinence is. My abstinence is I don't go out and buy food to binge on and I don't throw up. That's my abstinence. My abstinence has been perfect. I don't go out and buy food to binge on and I don't throw up. My food plan has changed probably 15 times. It changed about two weeks ago. I saw this movie and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to change everything. So my food plan has changed many times. And my food plan is probably 80% good. And there's times when it's not great. And I'm not perfect and I'm down about 35 or 40 pounds from where I was and I want to be, whether that's, I want to be 15 pounds less. But my food plan is not perfect. But my abstinence is. And to me, it's, to me, it's two completely different things. I, um, went overseas to live about, Jesus, almost two years ago. I lived on, uh, military bases for a year and a half. And, you know, food plan was like out the window. Uh, number one, especially at the end, they'd run out of food. Or we'd go, uh, it was, I was telling my friend, the other day, we went to t- we had a TGI Fridays on base, and it's like, well, we don't have chicken, we don't have beef, we don't have vegetables, and we don't have tomato juice, and we don't have potatoes, and we don't have lettuce, and we don't have rice. <laughs> it's like, what do you have? So, you know, my food, food plan had to be f- flexible. And when I went overseas, my food plan was I don't eat donuts. And it, that was it. That was all I could commit to is I don't eat donuts. And a little did I know that would be... Um, Serving Tim Hortons all the time, so Tim Hortons is a, you don't know what Tim Hortons is. Sorry? Yeah, if if you're from Canada, yeah. It's a a donut shop, so, you know. (laughs) Anyway, my food plan and my my abstinence are completely different. Uh, One of the things that, when I came into a program, it was like, oh, you know, we're Jewish, we do it differently. And um, it took me until I got to the meetings at Crescent Heights until I understood, and I, I remember in Colorado, my, my uh, sponsor's like, well, you just have to have faith, and I'm like, you know, I'm Jewish, we don't do faith, <laughs> but um, now I've, I've come, come to a place where I can be Jewish and be in program and be other stuff, too. Um, I'm looking for my favorite book, the book that helped me so much, in addition to page, it used to be page 449, what page is it now, 417, 417, I saw uh a license plate a few years ago. The guy, it says PG-449. I'm like, that's fabulous. Well, now it's like useless. Uh, page 449 in the big book, the, which is on acceptance. And um, the book that helped me so much was Came to Believe. It's an AA book. Are we allowed to talk about AA books? It's an AA book, and it talks about how people came to believe in a higher power. And what I did is I started reading a chapter every night, and it has... Stories that people wrote in to the grapevine about how they came to believe in a higher power and what their experience was. And I would read a chapter every night before I went to bed, and I think there's ten chapters, and I read it for like a year. And it really helped me come to see a higher power in my life. Also, I believe that I had a spiritual awakening, not a spiritual experience. I know that some people have, thank you, have the light go off, and um, that's not how I do things. You know, I do things slowly, and my spiritual experience came slowly. I had to go to a lot of meetings, and I had to work the steps. And I think that was the key, is I worked the steps. I worked the steps with a really good sponsor who took me through the steps according to the big book. 
And if you're doing the steps, do it. Don't wait. I mean, I think Dr. Bob did them in three days or two days or something. Just do them. Just do it. And if it's not right, it's right anyway. My sponsor took me through the steps as in the big book, and one thing that was really helpful, I go to a step, uh, step study on Thursdays, and one thing that was really helpful is when we did the fourth and fifth step, we did five, six, and seven, and eight all together. And we made a list of my character, D. And we made a list of all the persons I had harmed. That was part of doing my fifth step. As I was doing it, she wrote them down. And then we made a list of my character defects on in a column, and then we talked about those were negative, uh, being defects, those were negative, and we talked about the positive sides of those defects. For instance, I'm really stubborn, but I'm also tenacious, you know, and I, I, I talk too much, but I'm gregarious, and things like that. So it really, really, really helped me to go through the steps. I believe that we only take, I believe that I only take the third step once, I need to remember. That's what happens is I forget that I took it. And to me, it's like the third step is a no-brainer. It's just remembering. And I think of myself in a car, in the back seat, in a little uh, kitty seat with, like, bells and whistles and all kinds of things sitting back there. And my, my little fat legs are sitting, sticking out, and I'm kicking and, you know, pushing the, 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 the horn and, uh, yanking on the bells and turning the wheel, and God's in front, and God turns left, and I turn left. I'm like, well, this is pretty cool. And God, God turns right, and I turn right, and it's pretty cool. And God turns left, and I turn right, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And I get all upset. I have no power. God's in charge. God has everything good planned for me. So for me to get upset because he's turning right and I'm turning left, it's, it's like no use. I just need to remember that God's in charge, and whatever happens is, happens is for my good. Uh, somebody told me once, and I remember, that it's the answer to all my prayers, and it's a decision I don't have to make. And it's amazing how if I don't know what to do about something, I say, you know what, um, I'm going to let this one go for a while, or I'm going to do this unless I get some other kind of intuition, or I'm going to let it, um, I'll, I'll write about it, and every single thing that happens in my life that I don't know what to do about the decision gets made for me. Every single thing. I was um, flying somewhere once, and they messed up my flight, and I'm like, well, should I tell them, and it's going to be a mess, and, and um, maybe I just, I didn't know what to do about it, and I said, you know, I'm going to sit on it for a minute and figure out what to happen, what's going to happen. They canceled the flight. British Airways canceled the flight so that I could get everything straight. So whenever there's something I don't know what to do, it's like God... Um, Tell me what to do, or I'm going to do this, unless you let me know differently. Every single thing in my life gets fixed up, whether um, it's always a decision I don't have to make. Somebody asked me to go dancing last night, and then I'm like, oh, I'm too busy. I, you know, I think I'm going to tell him I'm not going to go. And then he calls me, and he says, oh, they don't have dancing tonight. You know, it was a decision I didn't have to make. Every single thing that happens is the answer to all my prayers. Everything. When I get stuck in traffic, it's the answer to all my prayers. When I'm late to work, it's the answer to all my prayers. When somebody um, doesn't show up at my party and I wanted them to, it's the answer to all my prayers. When my boss acts like a jerk, it's the answer to all my prayers. Every single thing that happens to me is the answer to all my prayers. Every single thing that happens to me is God wanting me to have a, a better life. Um, 
I was going to talk about something else. Um, another thing that helped me a lot was this little pamphlet. It's called Just for Today. And I used to read it all the time. And it helps when I uh, get a resentment because it's got one thing that says, I will exercise my soul in three ways. I'll do somebody a good turn and not get found out. So if, so, if, I, if I go into the, uh, the copy room and nobody has filled the paper, Nobody has filled the paper. Nobody ever fills the paper. <laughs> or they've left a mess in the bathroom. Or they've cut me off on the freeway. You know what? Go ahead. I'll fill the paper. I'll clean up the bathroom. It allows me to do somebody a good turn and not get found out. It gives me a chance. Um, every single day, oh, I know what I was talking about. Um, the third step I take once, and I just need to remember. The fourth step, I firmly believe that we take one fourth step one only, one-fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seven, and then we do the tenth step. I will tell you right now, I've taken four or five fourth steps, fourth and fifth steps. You know, I, that's what I believe, and then I get divorced, and it's like, you know, maybe I should take another fourth and fifth step. You know, or um, I get divorced again, maybe I should take another fourth and fifth step again. <laughs> so what I believe is, what you know, we take one one fourth and fifth step, and what happens is we take a few. That's what happens. Um, I was thinking that my fifth my tenth step was um, that I need to, what is the tenth step? Um, made direct amends to Sutton up. Continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, I don't have to wait to be wrong. Now, it's got two parts. Number one, I don't have to wait to be wrong. And I don't like to apologize. So I really try to stay out of situations where I'm going to have to apologize. And if somebody's making me angry or if I'm angry at somebody and I'm like, I'm not going to say anything because I'm just going to have to apologize. And um, continue to take personal inventory. What I do is I do a gratitude list every night. And I do five things that I'm grateful for, which is really easy. And I'm telling you, it is life-changing. I sit down. It takes me maybe 60 seconds to write down the date to write down the five things that day I'm grateful for. Sometimes they're the same thing as yesterday. It is life-changing. And I'll say that again. It is life-changing to write down five things at the end of every day that I'm grateful for. And usually during the day I'm thinking, oh, i got to write that on my list, and then I forget what to write. But um, also what is not so easy is write down, I write down two things every day where I was, two times every day where I was kind. And that's not so easy. But um, it, it reminds me to be kind during the day. Oh, at least I can put that on my list. <laughs> and uh, to tell you the truth, it's fun, you know, trying to, to be kind. Um, doing one of the, the really good things about this just for today is it says I'll do somebody a good turn and not get found out. And we talked about this at the birthday party, I think. And um, I happen to like to give away money. And I'm not rich, but I, I find that people appreciate that a lot. And after I spoke, somebody said, well, how do you be kind without giving away money? And the thing is that I don't believe that my money is limited. I have, um, I'm, right today, right now, I have freedom from fear of financial insecurity. And I have been given many times when I can be nice to somebody, like 
put 20 bucks in for the lady behind me at the grocery store who's got two screaming kids and, a, and um, food stamps, you know, or they don't have food stamps anymore, whatever it is that they have. Or um, when I was on uh, military bases, I would um, pay for people's postage sometimes. These poor guys are sending their stuff home, you know, and it costs a lot of money, and, and I put 20 bucks in for them. It is really fun. It is fun to give people big tips when they deserve it. It is really fun. And um, I give a lot, a lot of money to charity. And it's fun. And I, you know, I started doing it because I thought that it would help me. But I, I got to tell you, it's fun. And again, I believe that my freedom from fear of financial insecurity is today is not there. Um, I've been given the promises, and, and I will tell you, I told you that I'm really happy. My life is not perfect. You know, there's, I was on the way here, and I was thinking there's a, there's a couple things that, that are the way they're supposed to be, but they're not the way I want them to be. You know, and it's a matter of, um, it's a matter of work, and it's a matter of acceptance, and it's a matter of they're the way they're supposed to be. Um, I'll try to live through this day only. I just started. I just went back to school, back to college. I'm the only one in my family without a degree. And I just went back to college, and I um, I had to take, like, the real condensed classes, and I'm freaking out. I've got a class that I like that has homework, and then I have these two condensed classes that are um, many hours a week with lots of homework. And I'm like, ah, you know what? I do what I can today. Today was fine. I did some homework. I don't have to freak out about it. I'll live through today only. And if next Saturday is a whole other story. Just I only have to worry about today. Today's fine. Um, I'll be happy. And it's so easy. It's not easy. It's a challenge to say things that are positive. And not, oh, woe is me and this happened. It's like, and to, to not whine all the time. I mean, I don't like to be around people that whine all the time, and I don't like to be around me when I whine all the time. So I make up my mind to be happy. Most of the time that works. You know, I'm human. Uh, not all the time, but most of the time I'm as happy as I make up my mind to be. I'll adjust myself to what is and not everything to my own desires. It's the answer to all my prayers, whatever it is, even if it's traffic. Um, I'll try to strengthen my mind. I'll study. I'll learn something useful. Yeah, I've been doing that a lot. Um, I'll exercise my soul in three ways. I'll do somebody a good turn, not get found out. I'll do it two, at least two things I don't want to do, and I'm um, having challenges with that because I'm having challenges with exercise um, or activity. That's the ninth tool. I used to be really good at that. Um, I want to um, stop and go back to how it was because I always skip over that part. Um, I became bulimic when I was in uh, living in Colorado. I was in my 20s, and I was bulimic for 13 years. I got deep into debt because um, one can eat a lot of food when they're not keeping it down. And um, all I did was go to work, buy food, come home, eat, and throw up. That's what I did for 13 years. Thank you. That's what I did for 13 years. And at night, I would pick at my face. And I forget how horrible those days were. I forget how hopeless those days were. And the only reason I kept coming back to Overeaters Anonymous is because there was some kind of hope. And I'm telling you, I don't. it doesn't matter if you're at the bottom of the gutter. You can find 
recovery here, not relief, but also recovery here in the 12 steps. And I forget how desperate I was and how I, I used to cry all the time. And, and um, anyway, I just had to go back there because I, I, I am so focused in how good things are now that I forget how bad it was for 18 and a half years and before that. Um, I'll be agreeable. I'll look as well as I can. I'm old now. I have to start wearing makeup. Um, I'll have a program. I may not follow it exactly. I have been abstinent 20 years, and probably five or six days a week I send my food in to my sponsor. And like yesterday, I was supposed to go out to dinner with a friend, and we were going to go to some place, so I looked at my, I looked at the, the menu, and I told my sponsor what I was going to have, and my friend said, oh, I've got a gift card. We're going somewhere else. That's fine. I have a program, and it's flexible. And it's not going to freak me out if I have to change things or I have to change my mind or change what's happening with, with something. It's okay. Um, I'll save myself from two pests, hurry and indecision. I make a program. If it changes, fine. I'm flexible. That's fine. I have a quiet half hour all by myself and relax. Um, this is sometimes difficult, but I do it for myself. And I have been saving some afternoons on the weekends saving some time on the weekend for me. And so if I should go to a meeting, you know what? I need some time just to do nothing. And I will be unafraid. One of the things that I, I uh, like I said, I went overseas. And when I went overseas, I decided that I wasn't going to let fear keep me from doing anything. So if I was afraid to do something, I was going to do it anyway. If I didn't want to do it, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I have no desire to... Um, what don't I have a desire to do? I have no desire to mountain climb. It's not a matter of fear. It's just I think it sounds stupid, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> but um, I'm not, I decided I was not going to let fear stop me from doing anything. So a few weeks ago, we went on the zip line. And I'm standing there, and I don't know if you've ever zip lined. It's not difficult at all except for jumping off. Jumping off is the hard part. And uh, we had to jump off four or five times, and it, I was afraid. And here I'm telling everybody, oh, I don't let fear stop me from doing anything. So I jumped. But um, I traveled overseas a lot by myself in places where I probably should not have been comfortable. But, and nothing, and I, it was wonderful. Nothing bad, nothing bad happened. Everything good happened. So um, even today with school, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going back to school after 35 years, and all these people are going to be 25 years old, and I really don't want to go. And, you know, it was all about fear. And I'm not going to let fear stop me from doing anything. So um, I love the questions and answers. I'm going to stop right there. Thank you very much. The question is, do I have the experience that my food plan feels like a diet, and how do I deal with that? Lots of time it does, especially in the beginning, because I was um, pretty much following gray sheet. And um, I worked for Weight Watchers for 10 years. <laughs> so I sort of base things around that. And I don't deprive myself. And... I know lots of people's abstinence is three meals a day with nothing in between. And some days um, used to be that I'd get up at 10 p.m., 10 a.m. on the weekends and go to sleep at 10, 8, 10 p.m. 
that's cool. But there were times during the week when I danced and I had kids to take to the um, babysitter, so I got up at 6 and I went to bed at 2 a.m. So I don't deprive myself. And I say, am I hungry or am I lonely, angry, or tired? And I know that an apple is different than a Snickers bar. So I... Try not to diet, but I'm a compulsive overeater. It's always a diet. Sorry. <laughs> How do I keep my routine alive and keep to the same schedule even when life gets hectic? I don't. I mean, it changes all the time. I just, I've been working at the same place for 25 years, and I just changed my work schedule. And I don't. My life has changed a lot. I mean, I had two little kids when I started abstaining, and now my daughter, I have a, a grandson, and my daughter lives in Israel, and my son's, you know, an adult. So I don't. It changes all the time. And my life changes, and I just, and sometimes it does get boring. However, I'm one of these people who loves boring. I love, I love uh, routine. So keeping it alive, I, and I'll eat the same thing for, for my meals for six months. So, um... I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question because I like boring. And that's one thing I've learned in program. It's like everybody's trying to be all, you know, happy and, and new, and I'm just like, not me. I just want to do the same thing over and over again. So I don't know is the answer. But life changes, you know, and then I I guess when I when I get bored, I just allow life to change. And I go, one thing I've learned in the last few months is I go with my intuition, I really do go with my intuition. And um, I used to think, well, if I take this way to work, it's going to be okay. And if I take this way, I'm going to get in a horrific traffic accident and kill somebody and maim myself. Well, the decision is if I take this way, I'll get there 30 seconds earlier than that way. So I go with my intuition. And my intuition isn't always a big deal. It's just like um, I was cleaning the other day and I was going to pull this box down. I'm like, you know, probably not a good idea to pull the box down. I just go with what my intuition is. And I've learned through program to trust it and that that um, my t- intuition is pretty right on. And if it's not, it's not. <coughs> but I don't know how to answer the question because um, I don't keep it alive. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Can you talk about gray sheet? Of course. She asked me to talk about gray sheet. When I first started Overeaters as Anonymous, there was two food plans. One of them was on a pink piece of paper, and one of them was on a gray piece of paper. And people would say, I'm following the pink sheet or the gray sheet. The gray sheet was much more strict. And if you want to talk about a diet, I mean, it was a diet. It was um, protein and vegetables. I think we couldn't even eat any starches back then. And it was like two cups. So you'd get a, a, a potato masher and masher lettuce into the cup so you could get two cups of lettuce in there and if one green bean fell off it wasn't part of the cup and it was just really strict and it was not a way to live you know um i couldn't i have to tell a story and this is true i saw it with my own eyes i went to a an oa overeaters anonymous convention and they had a program on Saturday night where they had a dinner and the speaker. And I didn't stay for the dinner. Some friends and I went out to eat. 
and then we came back for the speaker. And when we came back, people, I remember at the uh, LAX Hilton, people were standing around and consoling each other and crying. I saw it with my own eyes. They were crying like something horrible had happened. And we came back and we said, what happened? And what happened is they had put dinner rolls on the tables. <laughs> and people were like, well, you know, some of us are on gray sheets. Well, don't eat the frickin' roll. You know, it was like gray sheet was really, really strict. And it was a diet. And it was not something that I recommend. Well, one big takeaway is my um, relationship with my higher power. I was brought up in a Jewish home, and I was always, I loved being Jewish. But I needed to come to a different relationship with my higher power. And that's the key to my life of wonderfulness. And it's just, and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't fast, and it's still evolving, which is great. But um, just knowing that, in my opinion, I know that God has everything good in store for me. And just knowing that it's not up to me. That's the answer. I'm all done. Thank you very much. <laughs>